0: This is Medicaid Leadership Exchange, a podcast where Medicaid directors and other guests get frank about what it's like to steward the nation's largest health insurance program. Through Medicaid and the Children's Health Insurance Program, 56 agencies administer a complex web of programs that provide access to essential health services. Listen in as we explore some of the challenges Medicaid leaders navigate and their top priorities to deliver services and build health.
1: Welcome everyone. It's great to be back on the podcast. Today's guests have formed a strategic partnership to positively influence how Alaska services are designed to improve the maternal health of pregnant people affected by substance use disorder and to reduce infant out-of-home placement. We are going to have the chance over the next couple of minutes to really learn from their experience, where they anticipate systems will change as a result of this work and how their work has been impacted by the process. I'm going to invite each of our guests from Alaska to introduce themselves, and Shantae, I'll start with you.
2: Yes, thank you, Gretchen. My name is Shantae Hambrick, and I'm a Prevention Social Services Program Officer with the Office of Children's Services, and I am based in Anchorage, Alaska, and it is a pleasure to be here. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Emily, go ahead. Hi, my name is Emily Erlacher. I am the Early Childhood Systems Specialist with the Division of Public Health, Department of Health, State of Alaska. I am also based in Anchorage, Alaska. Great. And then finally, Julius.
3: Hi, I'm Julius Goslin. I'm a staff physician with the Department of Health, and I work with Children's Services and Juvenile Justice and Medicaid.
1: Terrific. So as I mentioned in my opening comments, this project and this work has really been about supporting uh, pregnant people on their journey to becoming uh, parents. And I wanted to just give you all the chance to tell us how you first got involved in this work and in particular why you wanted to be a part of an effort to align early childhood and Medicaid systems, which has really been part of what's been supporting your effort.
2: Uh,
0: Well, I, I think we can safely say that the reason we got the group together to participate in the Aligning Early Childhood and Medicaid Collaborative with CHCS is because Julius emailed my supervisor and said, let's do this. And I said, okay. And from there, I reached out to all of the partners that I knew and colleagues that were involved with uh, some of the goals they had listed out in the application. And We made a large team. So we have people from the Division of Public Health, Healthcare Services, Division of Behavioral Health, the Office of Children's Services, where Shantae works. That's our child welfare agency and the commissioner's office. So word got around quickly (laughs) that this was happening and that there were some pretty neat goals that we wanted to explore together. And it seemed like a great way to to get organized and, and meet more colleagues outside of our general Focus areas and, and really talk about system supports, and so that's how that all came about. But I, I good heartedly blame Julius; he started it.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the exciting things about this was just um, all the passion that people had, um, you know, for for our children. And um, so, you know, it's kind of in the title, but when we got into it, we realized just how passionate people were because we had a hard time finding a focus that everyone w- could agree on, um, not because uh, everyone wasn't passionate, but they wanted to make sure that the work that they were doing to help um, didn't didn't get left behind. Um, and some of that I think is is Alaskan in the sense that there's not a not a lot of overlap um, due to our population, a lot of the people that do this work um, wear multiple hats, you know there's there's uh, sometimes not not a lot of, you might be the last line of defense, so to speak.
2: And I think one of the the contributing factors, like Julia said and Emily spoke to as well, is, is the passion. And so all the great work that the state of Alaska does to serve the families and the communities and just thinking smarter and efficiently and effectively about how we are going to serve and do that in an intentional manner and bring everyone to the table and have a discussion about what that intentionality looks like. And so that also was very helpful to have those very open and honest dialogues and those conversations and the exchange of ideas really truly beneficial in moving things forward.
0: Yeah, I would also add that any, especially in my position where I'm working at and looking at early childhood systems, any opportunity I have to meet other colleagues from other divisions or offices that I wouldn't normally get the chance to do is is a positive experience, even if we don't have something come out of it. So for us, you know, or or specific to me, just being able to meet more people from the division of behavioral health and talking about early childhood, I hadn't had that opportunity before, or being able to introduce people to Shantae, who I've done other collaboratives with, I knew what she could bring to the table, but others didn't have that experience. So just being able to, to really bring everyone together and help everyone understand how our work does overlap and, and how we may have missed opportunities for partnership previously. Now we're able to, to rely on those relationships that we've built to do other new things besides the project we worked on for this.
1: So with that passion and all those people involved, how did you sort of find a priority? How did you come up with a plan? Uh, and and could you tell us about what's been, what has been the focus of your
0: work? We're laughing Gretchen, because it was really difficult we, we had a, a few months where we were meeting as a team and we reworded our, our primary goal to help everyone, you know, kind of come on board and understand what we wanted to do. But it, we had a lot of conversations where we could not decide on a project because there was just so much we could tackle. So it was do we talk about home visiting? Do we talk about substance use disorder during pregnancy? What would that look like? Do we talk about the 1115 waiver that we have in relation to early childhood? You know, what is the best use of our time? And really, we didn't get anywhere with that decision until CHCS provided TA to us. And that was Daniela Louie. And when Daniela Louie came on the scene, she had an outsider's view and a fresh perspective. And she was able to say, wait, 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 let's, let's talk about this. I hear you want to do mapping, but what does that look like? What are you trying to accomplish? And we had a moment, we were like, we don't know. We just want to map all the things. And, and so with Daniela, we were able to, to figure out, okay, we're not going to map what we're doing with each other. Cause that was a discussion we had. We're going to map based on our primary focus, which we chose as is, is, um, substance use disorder during pregnancy and trying to prevent out-of-home placement of children. And so with that, she said, okay, what about trying something called journey mapping, where we can find out what you know, as state employees, we can find out what uh, providers of all types out in the the state know or are experiencing and then we can find out what the family knows and we can see where there are areas where we're not communicating or misunderstanding or maybe there's a barrier in services we weren't aware of and that really there was this big light bulb aha moment we're like oh that's so smart yeah we want to do that and then we went on the journey for for that journey of journey mapping is what we did
3: and um I think one of the things Daniela did uh, for the group was, she was very patient and she was also very flexible. It took quite a while to uh, get the team to all agree on that focus that the you know, to basically align the, the things they were passionate about so that we could all agree on that focus. And Daniela had to do quite a bit of explaining what journey mapping is. And like, there were, there were different ways we could do it, but we couldn't do it all at once. One of the things that was really uh, cool that came out of that was just the the passion for our people. Basically, we we didn't want to do you know the whole concept of yeah you got to address the policy, but the policy has to meet people where they live. And I think that was the thing that was the the, the core of the passion that came out at the end is that yes we want to change things, but it has to meet people where they live, and it has to happen in a reasonable time frame. And I think um, I think Daniela really helped us get there. And even after the project was well underway, there were a number of times we came back. Um, we had interest from people who weren't on the on this large team that we had, uh, and they're like, "Oh, we want to we want to do journey mapping somewhere else." <laughs> and we had to kind of say, "Well, wait a minute. We need to figure out clearly what journey mapping is, and make sure that we know how to use it. Um, and and then, of course, we'll we'll keep doing more and more."
2: And I really liked the, the concept of journey mapping and all that it brought to the table, because for many of us, we had never heard of that. We had never heard of that. But it was quite and we we talk about lived experiences in the communities. It was definitely something to put in our memory bank for moving forward. And that won't be the last, fortunately, because we're, we all collaborated. We have an understanding and, you know, Emily spoke about uh, Daniela's contribution and helping us move things along. But I think now, since we understand a little bit more, you know, we're not experts in journey mapping by far, but to have that experience, and we know that it can work, and it can work in different systems, in different communities, on different ideas. And so, just being open being open to have those discussions is is really important. And I think that's where we found the success. Yes, everything we want to talk about in all the different departments and all the wonderful work we do to serve communities, but how can we focus that like a laser and and pick something that's going to really reach and be impactful? And so I would say for the journey mapping, that was the most difficult part, um, is coming to that consensus about where we're going to drive, how we're going to get there. Um, but it worked very smoothly um, after we got over the bumpy roads.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sounds like, and I think we've all had this experience where having the right tool for the right challenge is like, you know, 60% of the of the getting it right, right? You have to, if you're using the right structure. So it sounds like journey mapping certainly was. And For those of you listening to the podcast, there'll be some additional resources about uh, journey mapping that come out from CHCS, uh, highlighting it as a really valuable technique to learn and see how systems work from the point of view of a variety of people. What's the journey from a variety or from the perspective of a provider or from someone who's trying to access services? So maybe you can start to share with what you've learned so far, what have been some of the things that um, you've learned or come to understand better as you've gone through this work?
0: I would say one thing I've learned is communicate clearly with whatever community based organization you choose to partner with. Uh, I think that through this process, we learned that, you know, everyone communicates differently. We all knew that. But in communicating with the community based organization that we partnered with to To work with the families who are going to share their stories. There were things that we didn't think of as state employees, for example, in the region that we're looking to to gather these stories from families. The community-based organization said, hold on, you forgot. This is an area where subsistence living and practices happen. We lay off our staff at the end of May, so you have to match your timeline. To that, and it wasn't something that crossed our minds as state employees right away because we work year round. So things like that, I think we've we've definitely learned to to bring the community-based organization on maybe earlier and and have more consistent conversations with them. But I think also don't be something I've learned from this is don't be afraid to ask more people than maybe you want to join because not everyone can. And, um, you know, for a provider, there are so many different types of providers out there, right? And so we, what we learned from Daniela was is to really open the door and, and invite all sorts of providers, but also recognize that their time is, of course, valuable. And so for us, one thing we learned was for that region specifically in providers, you know, there's very few. And so we we offered an incentive of a donation to the women's shelter there. So in in their time ta- their valuable time as professionals and sharing their experiences, they knew that something was coming to the community for that. and, and I think that was a game changer in recruiting that level, that provider level.
1: Yeah, what an innovative way to do it. Um, You know, often we think about incentives for the individual, but it makes a lot of sense to make that incentive about investing in the community directly. So um, what a what a learning to take from this for sure. How about others? Uh, Julius and Shantae, what have you felt like you've learned um, as you've gone through this process?
2: Well, one thing that I've taken a, a deep, hard look at is that although we are different departments operating within the state, different agencies, it truly is a symphony coming together and making a, a performance that people are going to remember and that they're going to understand because, you know, Emily was speaking about the communities and there's definitely uh, nuances in each, and we respect them where they are, um, how they live, their way of being. And we really want to enrich the experiences um, with families and the communities and the stakeholders. So I really like the idea with the journey mapping to look at it from different lenses not just the family, but the provider, the agencies involved. And I think it it makes it a more robust discussion. And again, going back to the intentionality, if you're going to do something, do it with your whole heart, have that passion, move things along, contribute, and do it with that laser focus in mind. So I really like that although we do have different roles within the state, We work for different departments. We do truly have one mindset, and that is to serve and and talk about those things in those communities and not be siloed, really come together collaboratively. So I really enjoyed that piece, and it was much more in-depth than I initially thought. So just learning a lot from that experience and being able to carry that forward.
0: Yeah, I think I'll add to that and say what we learned is if you're going to do journey mapping, you need a committed team, a wholehearted committed team. You will not get anywhere in this work if you don't have a a team that's committed to going through those roadblocks, because we have met lots of roadblocks along the way and have had to learn. And if we hadn't had, you know, Daniela and CHCS and, and all of the wonderful team members that we have committed, we would have given up months and months and months ago. So make sure that if you do journey mapping, you pick a strong and committed team.
1: Well, and a strong and committed leader, you know, the model that we've started to use as we think about alignment talks about these sort of foundational requirements for collaboration, right? And it's a team and it's a quarter, uh, someone who, who can communicate, you know, m- m- manage communications, et cetera. But one of them is, uh, strong and committed and adaptive leadership because this work takes twists and turns and so that leadership is really critical and it sounds like um, with the with the just at the beginning of our conversation Julius you were part of the early leadership and having the vision for this how has your experience been with the journey mapping
3: yeah um so without Emily uh, it wouldn't have worked like I have I have the passion but um, Emily was willing to put in the time and the work to um in the communication to build the team to keep the team together uh you know to organize things and keep us coming back to the table um there were some intense moments where we thought we were going to lose the whole team and that was hard you know and and uh she did all the communication and bringing people back to the table so there's you know with, without that this definitely wouldn't wouldn't have uh, we, we, we wouldn't have completed we wouldn't have finished For me, I think the main thing I took away from this is just hope you know'm I'm, I'm a bit idealistic so obviously I plowed right in um, but you know it added a lot of fuel to our partnerships or collaborations and I think it proved to people that we can do this that that it does have value um, and ongoing value. and once you start of course you still, it's not just the initial value, but it keeps on giving positively. And so you, you know, over time you keep realizing more and more how much value these partnerships have. Um, and it kind of breaks down some of those barriers and the fears that people have in working together. So I think that's the the main thing I took away. You know, I learned a lot about, um, and dug, dug deeper into human centered design and journey mapping and, um, you know, uh, Daniela was skillful at talking to us about the empathy portion, so that we could all get on board.
1: Yeah, talk to me a little bit more about that empathy. You know, I certainly remember when I was Medicaid director, I was invited to sit in on a sort of evening session with a group of women who were participating in like an economic mobility program at their local level. And it was wonderful in that I got to learn, you know, people waited for three hours on our customer call center line and, you know, that, um, you know, they were getting up at 6 a.m. to get in the queue and, you know, really disturbing things that I had to go back and reconcile with our team. But it is, uh, it requires a lot of empathy to sit and listen and learn about how your systems are not meeting people's needs and the struggles that families face. So, How did empathy play a role in this
3: work? Well, I think that it it, it was the connecting point because without that, the team was going to disintegrate. Like uh, everybody who was working wanted uh, a tangible outcome that would actually meet the people they were serving. And then there was a piece of this because we realized very quickly that everybody we needed in the room wasn't there. And we also realized that we wouldn't be able to quickly get everybody in the room that we wanted in the room. And so uh, that was the piece that helped us connect and, uh, and basically be able to move forward with what we had and then lay some of those pieces aside uh, for, for connection later. And also thinking through how you do that, right? Because you don't want people who connect later to think that they weren't thought of or that they were intentionally left out. Um, So I think it helped to counter that.
2: In terms of the empathy piece, and I agree 100% with Julius, I think this whole experience also has really lent more perspective in terms of offering grace, because it is so new to us. Um, granted, like I said earlier, you know, we all work in our respective departments uh, within the state of Alaska, but the piece that we're all in this together, we're all learning at the same time, uh, we're not going to leave anyone behind, every idea can be brought up for consideration um, in a respectful manner. And I really found that offering each other grace, because there were some times there where we were scratching our heads. Um, but again, we had that guidance through Daniela. And so I think it, it showed us that, yes, we have the passion and you can have that passion. And it really adds a steam to the locomotive that makes it go, but you don't want to go amiss. Like you don't want your, your route to, to go off the side, you know, go off the rails, literally. So, I mean, being able to say we're new with this we're learning but oh buddy once we get it once we get a clear understanding of how we're going to navigate it's game on so i think just having that that space for us to say okay we don't we don't know everything we're learning but also be patient in that process
0: but looking from a a journey the
2: actual journey mapping tool perspective empathy is just the
0: first pillar of the whole journey mapping process and so really we say we're journey mapping and we are, but it's a very small, you know, tip of the iceberg of where we could go with the whole um the whole tool. And and had we had more time and and funding, we probably could have done something bigger, but this was a nice warm-up and, and starting with the most important part, which is the empathy piece and and understanding where everyone is coming from at the different levels and what they're experiencing. The rest can come later. But as a warm-up to journey mapping, it was perfect. We couldn't have asked for a better way to start the project.
1: Yeah, and the great news about these kinds of programs is they go on for a long time, right? I mean, you all have lots of opportunity as you administer, you know, child welfare support programs or other Programs um, to keep building on your the skills you learned and the and the hearts you've built around this work um, and apply that in the future. So I wanted to start to turn to the future when you think about the end of this journey mapping process or your ongoing work to try and support families in Alaska. What do you see is next on the horizon, or where do you see this sort of ending up for you all?
0: Well, we're going to have a report and. That synthesizes all that we've learned and we're going to have a team conversation and and really go from there but you know this project was twofold it was the journey mapping itself to learn about uh substance use disorder and pregnant people in a certain region and and where the barriers are to access services of support but also it was about just learning what journey mapping is and how we could apply it in other parts of of our work and so uh, Julius and I have talked a lot with Daniela and CHCS about how can we make this sustainable for everyone else in the state? Can we do can we build a training through a conference or our state learning management system? What can we do to keep to keep this learning going? You know, I, I think Julius already said word got out quickly what we were doing from our colleagues, and everyone wanted to jump on the bus and do journey mapping. With their own projects and we had to put the brakes on for everyone to say wait 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 we're still learning hold on we don't know what the end product even looks like yet and we we don't want we didn't want anyone to fail in their attempt at journey mapping and then say to other colleagues well it didn't work don't try that or don't do it and, and it was only because we knew that it's a journey of journey mapping and we're still on that journey and so we want to promote this tool when we we've learned more, and so you know we're working to get organized. We're we're looking forward to getting a final report and discussing it, and maybe doing some conferences, pre- different presentations and things like that. But I'm more interested in how can we use this in the long term. So if I wanted to do another project related to early childhood with my my Medicaid colleagues. I, I know that I will have something in the learning management system or, or something and I can say, hey, we have this tool. Let's go through it, review the training and make a plan that way. So we're organized and there's no miscommunication and, and everyone's on the same page. So, you know, it, we're, we're kind of getting double. We're, we're just we're winning on all the levels.
3: So, yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, where does it end? It doesn't. Uh, because you know, the tool can be used. There's so much work to do and the tool will help us do that work more effectively. I already spoke earlier to the whole benefit in terms of partnerships and collaborations and Emily, everyone spoke to that. Um, But there's also, you know, a return on investment in terms of state resource and the time that people spend and how much they get for that time. And so I think it's going to be, and we've already started to see um, obviously, as Emily mentioned, we don't we don't have it all measured yet, but you can already start to see that it's going to continue to produce benefit, um, you know, probably bigger than we can imagine at the moment. And, and uh, you know, measurement is, is a work unto itself. So we will eventually be able to measure it. But um.
1: So perhaps as we begin to close up our conversation, I am so inspired personally, um, and I just am so thankful that you're willing to share your experience with us what guidance would you give to other states who are contemplating this or other parts of you know the infrastructure in alaska um what as you mentioned you've you've taken a lot of lessons from it and it seems like your hearts have, have also been swollen by the process um what would you say or what advice would you give to other state medicaid agencies if they're contemplating ways to better understand and serve people with really complex needs and people who are served by multiple programs, right? I mean, that's the alignment part is um, individuals with substance use disorder who are pregnant have a lot of systems that are trying to to support them. Um, So what advice would you give?
3: I would say focus on tangible and actionable things. That was the one thing uh, we started out at the beginning of this saying, whatever we do with this, it has to be, there has to be tangible action for every participant on the team and we knew that that meant there would be tangible action for you know for Alaskans that we were serving.
2: I would say that be ready to explore um, the unknown with all of it, with the discussions. Uh, be very open to hearing the strengths, the challenges, and stay solution focused. I think that is very important. And even in those collaborations, um, have many voices. Represented at the table from different arenas. Um, you know, in the state of Alaska, there are very strong relationships with our tribal partners. There's cultures within cultures. And so uh, paying homage to that and being respectful in those dialogues that you have. And sometimes it's very difficult to hear hard things. But in this state, in Alaska, we have learned that from that comes beauty. And from that comes momentum and you get more stakeholders. And so everybody that has a voice, um, even those unexpected, but just be prepared to be open and honest and have that platform where everybody can be heard and everybody can work towards that common goal. And like Julia said, make sure it's focused. And um, again, I go back to one of my favorite words, intentionality, be intentional about it.
0: Terrific. Thanks, Emily. I mean, I can't really follow that. That was beautifully said. <laughs> um, I would say, as with any project, make sure you have a strong and committed leader. And if you can, you know, we don't always have the budget for it. But if you can, get an outside facilitator or someone who can help the group get out of the weeds. You know, we often are so focused on on what we know and what we've been buried in that it's hard to see the bigger picture and, and think outside the box and That's what Daniela did for us is she was able to to take what we knew and what we were passionate about and help us find direction because we couldn't do that before. So if you can get someone to help you with it, with that outside perspective and make sure you have a strong leader who's committed.
1: Terrific. Well, I can already feel myself um, hoping to listen to this podcast over and over again to continue to learn about all the wisdom that you've shared with us. I am going to thank you all for sharing your journey with us and for sharing your um, experiences. I want to acknowledge that you guys are going to continue this work and also acknowledge how critical it sounds like the investments from CHCS and the Aligning Early Childhood and Medicaid project were, and in particular, the great work of Daniela Louie, who is a, a colleague of mine in other parts of my life. And so it's just so wonderful to hear the impact she was able to have working with you all. I'm now gonna turn it over to Mark Larson to provide his reflections on the conversation.
4: Thank you, Gretchen. Emily, Chante, Julius, I just wanna say thank you for sharing the stories with us today. Hard not to recognize the importance that the three of you played as champions in this effort. And Julius, you started us off by uh, sharing that, that spirit of let's do this together. And uh, certainly when we try to work across sectors uh, and particularly with the community, the role of that you have played as champions is is certainly uh, crucial to building the momentum. but it, I'm inspired by the way in which you've told the story of using journey mapping as a way to get to and through the hard work of uh, creating process so that you can make decisions together and uh, maybe importantly to be able to resolve conflict together to get to clarity about what you'll do together. Sant okay, I loved your your imagery overall, but in particular you made the the mention of getting to where are we going to drive together after we got over the bumpy road, uh, which is probably an Alaska image that many other states don't have the, the same picture of, but we often talk about the role of process and governance in building trust. Uh, but this was such a lovely example of where, you use journey mapping to help create that process of how to move from just the shared sense of vision and purpose to something concrete. And that's a lesson for all of us that that important investment in the time, uh, the intentionality, importantly, that your focus on the power dynamics involved, particularly in working with with community. Having the process to be able to work through that is so important, and thank you for sharing your story. and I'm excited to hear where those roads continue to take you.
0: This podcast is a collaboration between the Center for Healthcare Strategies and the National Association of Medicaid Directors. It is made possible by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation.